Hello, I'm Lexi. And I'm Meg. And welcome to Script in Hand, the podcast where two friends and theatre directors delve into plays and talk text. And what are we doing this week, Meg? So this week we are looking at the play that goes wrong, which is by Henry Lewis, Jonathan Sayer and Henry Shields. Yay! So it's three of them this week, three writers. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, also, they come under the branding of Mischief Theatre is what they're probably predominantly known as. And Lexi is like bouncing out of her chair excited to be talking about this play. <laughs> big fan, are you? Big, big fan. <laughs> I mean, yes. They are an amazing company. They are as I said, I think on the end of last week, what I personally feel this company has done to resurge farcical and comedy in the public mainstream, not from just being a once every couple of years, oh, here's a good comedy, to being consistent, mm. good commercial comedy. Yeah. Oh, I love them so much. I feel like it's a company a lot of people will have heard of as well, which um, which is quite nice. Yeah. They've always got stuff on iPlayer and things like that around Christmas, and I think it's really nice. I think they're quite inaccessible theatre company. Here, here. And they are, this book is, they play up those wrong text, is published by Bloomsbury, uh, The Method and Drama. Do you want to tell us a little bit about its history, Meg? Um, yeah, so this play was first pre- uh, presented under the title The Murder Before Christmas in 2012, and the cast included uh, the writers as well, which I think is quite fun. It then went on to open in 2013 as The Play That Goes Wrong. It then transferred to the Trafalgar Studios, and then the production was transferred to the Duchess Theatre in London's West End in 2014. But it, it's gone on to do way more than that, hasn't it? It's, it's kind of been all over the globe. I mean, it has had three UK tours. It, it won the Olivier Award for Best New Comedy, snaps. Mm-hmm. It opened on Broadway on the 2nd of April 2017, where Nigel Hook's incredible set design won the Tony Award for Best Set Design. Mm-hmm. And it's had international productions including uh, China, Hungary, South Africa, Spain, Greece, Israel, Poland, Australia, France, Italy, Mm -hmm. Finland, South Korea, and many others. I mean, it has been staged on six out of seven continents. Come on, Antarctica. Raise your game. (laughs) And by the end of 2017 alone, 35 countries have performed a mischief production. I mean, that must just be... It must be one of the most successful plays ever. Surely. So Jonathan Sayer, who is the co-writer and company director, said, when it was on at the Old Red Lion, the main fun of it was that you can see the whites of the actors' eyes because then it felt really dangerous and spontaneous. And given that in every performance, characters are struck with objects or by each other 19 times, that feels fun. (laughs) Um, UK production has been described as a triumph of split-second timing by the Metro, gloriously preposterous by the stage, and a masterpiece of malfunction by the Times. A little bit about mischief. So the play that goes wrong was written by Henry Shields, Jonathan Sayer, and Henry Lewis, and who of Mischief Theatre, who performed their first show together. Let's see what happens in July two thousand and eight. All that time ago. Since then, they've gone on to create the global hit The Play That Goes Wrong and other comedic plays, the comedy about a bank robbery, Peter Pan Goes Wrong, Lights Camera Improvise, which was later renamed as Mischief Movie Night. Grown Ups and Magic Goes Wrong, and the latter two are part of their year-long vaudeville theatre residency that kicked off in September 2019. Peter Pan Goes Wrong was adapted for a one-hour TV special, and subsequent TV work has included A Christmas Carol Goes Wrong and their own six-part BBC series, The Goes Wrong Shows, which is currently nominated for Best Comedy Programme in the UK at the TV Choice Awards 2020. I mean, they really found their niche, didn't they, and ran with it. Oh, hell <laughs> like, yeah. They obviously, yeah. Like, apart from being... Like this amazing theatre company, they've obviously got some really good business brains behind them as well. Oh, definitely. I, mean, I, just, 
I've seen every one of those on stage live, apart from Peter Pan Goes Wrong, which I did see the TV version, but I've seen every other production of a mischief show. Wow. Yeah. I'm I've, like, seen, I've seen the play that goes wrong. It's the only one I've seen. But this is the first one we've done where we've both seen the play. Yeah. Which is So fun. that's cool. Yeah. So you're probably wondering what is the play that goes wrong about. So I'm just going to read out the blurb on the back of a copy I've got here because it does a good job of explaining it. So after benefiting from a large and sudden inheritance, the inept and accident-prone Corny Polytechnic Drama Society embarks on producing an ambitious 1920s murder mystery. They're delighted that neither the casting issues nor technical hitches currently stand in their way. However, disaster ensues and the cast start to crack under the pressure, but can they get the production back on track before the final curtain falls? So it follows the story of a murder mystery. However, it's based around the amateur dramatic society and everything that goes wrong in the play. So there's a lot of collapsing set. There's a lot of entrances when entrances aren't meant to be happening, uh, missing props, things like that. So it is... It is really funny, um, especially if you're someone who grew up um, around amateur theatre as well. And we've also got a special guest joining us today. We have Sean Turner. And Sean is the associate director for the West End version of A Play That Goes Wrong, as well as having directed several of the international productions in Australia, New Zealand, Russia, South Korea, Hong Kong and Spain. And you'll like this, Meg. Sean is responsible for unearthing Arthur Miller's first play, No Villain, The Lost Play, and presenting the world premiere of it, which transferred to the West End in 2016 at the Trafalgar Studios. Love that. Mm. That's so cool. That is really cool. Other credits include Talk Radio at the Old Red Lion, Nada at the Bush, and uh, his 2012 London transfer of Edinburgh hit Three of Hearts received five West End nominations, including Best Director. So I'm thrilled we've got Sean with us today, because I've got so many questions about... The risk assessment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, the risk assessment. So, shall we delve into a little bit of the play that goes wrong? Let's. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. I am so excited. Meg will tell you I've been bouncing off the walls to discuss this one because I'm such a comedy lover. You've been wanting to do this since like day one, haven't you? This one. I have been pestering you. Let me. I've let you do lots of depressing. I've let you do three sisters. Why don't we go to Moscow? You let me. <laughs> I let you do three sisters, so that I can talk comedy for a bit. Because this is, frankly, genius. This play, and it's so damn clever. <laughs> and and it's one that both Meg and I have have seen. Sean, can you yeah. tell us a little bit just about what your uh, work with the show is? What do you do? Um, so I'm the associate director on the production. I've been with the show for about three and a bit years now or something. I direct a lot of the international productions. I look after the show in the West End, uh, the UK touring versions. Yeah, make sure it kind of stays stays up to scratch, keep keep people laughing, hopefully. I mean, you must know every, every line of the show inside out by now. I, well, I hope so, although I, I was nearly late for this because, believe it or not, I was searching for a script. I thought, I better have a script in front of me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've gotten to know it fairly um, yeah. well. I know I would I would love to see, and this is me plugging for Mischief, a piece of merch idea, which I think will be brilliant. I, I would love to see a compilation book which has the original one-act production from the Old Red Lion Theatre all the way through to the one which we now have in our hands, which is the one on the West End. The one that you have in your hands is probably uh, it's probably not fully up to date either. Like it's mm-hmm. a, the beauty of this of this show is that, like obviously, you know, Henry, Henry, and, and Jonathan have done this incredible job making such a kind of perfect um, 
script, but but there's there's still play every night. You know, there's still things that change, and um, obviously there's a couple of little sections that that kind of get completely ad libbed every I evening. Love, I love a vamp section. Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> You've um, got to keep it new and exciting, though, don't you? As well, with with a play that has been this successful, has this many. You know, yeah, I mean the current cast or the you know, the cast that would the were in mm. the West End up until a couple of months ago were on a on a fifteen month contract. You know that's a long time long, to be yeah. doing the same show. It's eight times a week, um, and yeah, you've got to you've got to keep it fresh. You've got to keep it exciting, particularly with a show like this, where like the whole premise is that it's the opening night. And you have to have that feeling of it's the opening night for Cornley Polytechnic. They've got that adrenaline. They don't know what's going to happen. Without that, it falls apart. I think one of the interesting things for me about it is thinking about the longevity of the show as a piece. It's obviously running constantly like six years now in the West End. It's got X amount of international productions. But it's not a show based on the script as it stands that would, I think, then ironically play well for an Amdram group because the script is so specific to that amazing, amazing Nigel Hook set. I don't know many Amdram companies who could probably have an elevator on stage. That's true. That's true. That's interesting, though, because I I have long thought that actually, yeah, this show has got an incredible longevity in the West End, but, but I feel like its greatest asset going forward it's going to be the amount of amateur groups that take mm. it on. But even yeah. if, they, you know, if they kind of rediscover things for themselves within that, uh, within the script, you know, it, I guess it depends on how much kind of freedom companies are allowed yeah. within work, working within the parameters of the script. But yeah, no, you're what, right. There are, there's some, there's some challenges. That's why I'd love to have the merch, which has the original <laughs> on that, on that <laughs> minute, li- on, on the little 90, on the little stage from the old red lion. Yeah. That's one you can then, that, the development of that would be think, fascinating. I mean, I think the genius of some of this is how, you can tell it's written by three actors, I think. They know how to set up comedy for delivery, for pauses, for other actors. Yeah. And, and how they set tone. So even the whole, there's a whole page which is actually pre-show activity, mm-hmm. which is it's genius because A, it just relaxes the audience, sets the tone mm-hmm. from the off yeah. before they even watch the show properly. And it also sets up these jokes for later on. So you have Annie, the stage manager character, trying to put a mantelpiece up with the help of the audience. You know, there's some laughs in that. Mm-hmm. They have the missing Duran, Duran CD. But it's setting up these jokes, which for like, not until page 14, when Max says, Perkins, hand me his journal from the mantelpiece. You get that two-step laugh from the audience. Then one, because they know on the line mantelpiece, oh, wait, we know the mantelpiece hasn't already been built. So that's funny. What are they going to do? Then you've got the anticipation of, how are they going to fix this? Followed by the second comedy drop of Annie putting her hand through as the fix, essentially. So they're setting that up miles in advance of the actual joke dropping. And similarly, the Duran Duran CD, you get... It's not until, like, two pages from the end of the script they find the actual Duran Duran CD, and you get those musical stings with it. It's brilliant in how it sets up these jokes really far on for the audience to then laugh then, oh, that's a funny bit, and then keep delivering comedy throughout the play based on those initial jokes from the pre-show. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's one you don't want to be late to, isn't it? You don't want to miss that pre-show. <laughs> it's surprising how important that part of the show is to all of those things that you said, like to, to set the tone for the audience. But um, also to, when people have missed Winston the Dog 
throughout uh, from the audience members coming around and talking to them it takes them a really long time to kind of to catch up on that joke so if we have to be quite careful making sure that we get around to as many members of the audience as we can mm. to make sure they've, they've all got the gist of it and mm. we found that it in different uh, in different countries it's, it's more important or less important when we were, I went to and did the production in South Korea and like their whole world, the whole kind of culture is so different. And there's a whole kind of thing of not laughing at other people's misfortune, which is the yeah. whole play. The whole play is laughing yeah. at other people's misfortune, right? So what do we do? How do we, how do we solve that? So we had to make sure that we really kind of extended that part of the show. We really had to get the audience on our side and spend a lot more time with the audience in, before the show started to kind of let them know this is a safe space. You can laugh here, you can, you can have fun at other people's expense and that's okay that's brilliant I, yeah, yeah that's I hadn't thought about I haven't thought really about the cultural differences in different uh, countries about how that would play but yeah it's surprising well the other thing that always surprises me is how far Agatha Christie's reach goes like mm. everywhere I've been to do this show they immediately get the style of it because they already understand those kind of the classic murder mysteries well, I was going to say, the tropes of the murder mystery, this is something I personally really appreciate, given that my side hustle is having a murder mystery company. Of course. Hey, murder pays the mortgage in this house. So <laughs> what Henry, Henry and Jonathan have done so well is set up these tropes of the murder mystery. You have the secret affair, the will rewritten just before the death, the second surprise death. So they've hit all those beats. But then from a logic point of view, they've dropped just enough of the right amount of clue pigeons, technical term. The clue pigeons, it's a little clue, we, we, we call it because we go clue, clue, when we do a murder oh, mystery. Oh my God, but, I'm stealing that, I'm stealing that. Feel free, but they, they're just dropped in beautifully. So Dennis says, you met him, Chris, once briefly at the local police station. And that's all you get to know that Chris then has that connection. And then you find out that obviously the handkerchief has FC on it. We never get his first name, but we know he's Inspector Carter. And it's just brilliant how the clue pigeons of a murder mystery are equally as well covered as the comedy. There's a tension to both with it. So the story is logical because it does my nut in when murder mysteries aren't logical. It's, it's <laughs> so important to me. It's they really, we, I, whenever I get a new cast um, on this show, we spend at least the first week rehearsing the play that goes right. So we just do the murder mystery. So we'll do the murder at Havisham Manor until we know the full blocking of that show. We know exactly how the show should have gone. Because without that, the actors, you know, how, how, do you, how do you make something go wrong without knowing how it was supposed to go, without knowing what it is that's happened? There's some wonderful moments, though, if you, if you really tear it apart. There are a couple of lovely moments where everybody's just left on stage for about a minute and a half where nobody's saying anything because there is a slight hole in the murder mystery. But, <laughs> but we don't, you know, we, we, I make it our task as a company to come up with a reason as to why, you know, Chris Bean has decided to leave the full company on stage for a minute and a half waiting for somebody to collect a magnifying glass from the upstairs office and they're coming all the way back downstairs, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that you rehearse as the play that goes right first. That's genius. Yeah, it's a really good. Thing. It's so vital. It's so vital, and it seems a bit silly at times, um, but yeah, we get we get so much from it. I need to ask Sean, what is the risk assessment like for this show? Oh gosh, uh, I, I avoid them <laughs> like the plague. Um, <laughs> Passing it to your wonderful stage managers, <laughs> like hello. <laughs> the most terrific stage management team on this show. Um, 
yeah there's there's an awful lot there's a lot of kind of method statements that, that have to be signed for everybody uh, it's weird because you know the show is so well choreographed and so well mm-hmm. thought out and obviously we've come across so many problems um over the years that actually now it's it's really safe you know everything is is so well thought out the, the problems are from the things that arise that you could just never ever think about you know, the 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 stuff that you can't mitigate for in any way shape or form that just just happens um, and whenever we've we've had major injuries they tend to have taken place off stage backstage mm-hmm. um, you know because somebody's tripped over the thing that makes the noise when somebody gets their head hit you know it's mm-hmm. it's it tends to be that kind of stuff and uh, and yeah like I say I'm lucky that we've kind of we've guinea pigged it with so many people mm. that now when we re- when we rehearse the show we know all those pitfalls we know the things to avoid we know exactly what the safest method of throwing Sandra through a window is um, <laughs> and how to make sure that that's kind of that's that's looked after is that something you have to do in auditions for new casts or for international companies i was thinking because there's such a physical demand on some characters like Max has to be able to hold himself upright between two stretcher poles and things like that is that something you have to audition for it's something that we've kind of um started to do more recently we, we didn't use this but in the last cast we did do some physical tests on stage before we made follow-up firm offers just a couple of things that you know that that we really rely on people to do obviously the actor that plays Robert ends up with an awful lot of furniture all over the top of them when they're on a certain mezzanine level um and if you you know if you find out that somebody's got a slipped disc or something from from a rugby injury when they were 15 you know, that becomes a problem um as you go yeah. through so yeah there's that and we also have um a, a physiotherapist that's that's kind of full-time well not full-time but available to the cast as and when they need them so yeah, we, we, we look after the company as best as we possibly can. And it's also, it's just really, it really is about making sure that you're you know, being really professional about warming up and making sure physically you're looking after your body um, mm. and vocally. It's so tough on the actors vocally, mm. you know, working over the top of 500 raucous laughing audience members. Yeah. I mean, linguistically, it's such a clever show as well. I'm mm. trying to pick yeah. this. Trying to pick apart comedy is a really tricksy thing, I think, at times. But yeah. I was having a look at it. I love, I mean, I, I love Chris's opening um, statements, but I think this is my favourite. If we're honest, the lack of numbers hampered past productions, such as last year's Chekhov play, Two Sisters, or last Christmas's The Lion and the Wardrobe, and of course our summer musical, Cat. And I was trying to think <laughs> of myself... Why was Cat so funny? And they've the guys have got such a brilliant understanding of comic punctuation, because it wouldn't be as funny if the answer was and our summer musical Guy and Doll. Sure. Yeah. Singular. It's still making the same thing singular, but it doesn't yeah. have the same impact as a one-syllable phrase. And they've got that understanding of linguistic comedy and timing down to a pat. And I think it's something that they've learned over time. You know, the, 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 the joy of this show is how it went from a 50-seat theatre and built and built and built and did the fringe and did tours and, and eventually made it to the West End. And that stuff was so honed by then and you know, still is getting fixed. You know, now they're, they're doing things like the, the Goes Wrong show where they, they've got yeah. nothing. They've got none of that. They don't have a chance to stick it in front of an audience and find out what works and what doesn't. And yeah, now, you know, the company just has such an innate sense of, of what's going to work. It's extraordinary. So question for the two of you, I think. 
What is the most goes wrong thing that's ever happened to either of you two on a show? <laughs> on any show. It doesn't have to be a goes wrong show, Sean, but the most goes wrong thing that has ever happened on a show. So I was a dancer in a pantomime many years ago. And we, so we were hired as the, as the dancers and then the cast was separate. So we were in our own dressing room and we would just obviously go up for our dancers and go back down. Anyway, one night the stage manager forgot to, to come and get us. So we were just chilling in the dressing room and then we heard our music play and we were like, uh, <laughs> so we had to like run up onto the stage and we had to improvise the entire dance and like pick up sections that we'd done. And we did, we were doing, it was like Morris dancing style, you know, panto. And, um, I remember this one bit where <laughs> we were all in a circle and every time someone was to the audience, they were like, and then smiling and then every time we got to the back everyone was like oh my god what would you want to do <laughs> like it was honestly incredible oh, it was it was so good and then obviously afterwards we were like why did they all call us we look like idiots um but i don't think you could probably tell as an audience member because we just picked out sections and then we did it in a different order it was really strange but yeah so that's mine but it was quite funny it is the beauty of live theatre, which is the beauty of this script, is that you just keep going in some circumstances, yeah. especially with yeah. community in Amdram. We just keep going. Yeah, just keep yeah. going. What about your yeah. you, Sean? Um, mine's weirdly similar, actually. I uh, I was uh, back in in my younger years, and in, in my final year at school, I played Romeo and Romeo and Juliet in the school production of it, and I was uh, sat on stage alone in Mantua wondering where Juliet was, waiting for Balthazar to bring me word as to as to what had happened back in Verona. And uh, he was sat in the dressing room watching a film, I believe, um, and left me on stage for what felt yeah. like forever, <laughs> improvising in full iambic pentameter, trying to, to keep the show going. I think and I did a similar thing. I kind of uh, drifted back to, to torture and not mercy. Um, thinking I'll just repeat another soliloquy and then that yeah. will... <laughs> it's, it's, exact, it's exactly the stuff that's in the show that yeah. like like you say probably the audience never noticed and mm. probably uh, on mine it was probably about 10 seconds maybe at the most but to me it felt like hours and hours mm. and hours and that's what we do in the play that goes wrong it's that we we take those moments that actually are only seconds long and we stretch them and stretch them and stretch them so that we allow yeah. the audience into what it feels like for the performer to, to be on stage and, and have something like that happen. I love it, it's excruciating. It's the moment where they're, when, when they're meant to stretch uh, Jonathan's body off and it falls through and they oh, just the walk out and, and he leaves it so long before that then is... just... Oh. As you do, you just slowly, how do I get myself just crawling <laughs> off? And this, in the, timing. In the production I watched, it was the it was a UK tour one, and he kind of just like pulled his front body up and was like a bit of a like a snake like that. It was it was honestly the best part, and that's like all these years later, that's the one bit I remember as well. Great. <laughs> that's definitely the best bit. And that's the stuff that, as a director, you just get out of the actor's way, and you just yeah. say, just get off stage, just play your objective, try to get off stage in the in the the most sensible possible way you feel you can and, and see what happens. So, so again, that stuff changes night by night by night. I bet you've seen so, so many amazing uh, alterations of that as well. Yeah, 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 it's lots of fun. In, Ru in Russia, we had a guy who was an acrobat and he, he wow. was able just to lift, just to throw himself from a laying down, a fully prostrate position 
all the way over the top of the chaise long and then just crawl off from behind the chaise long which no was way. amazing absolutely incredible have that on your spotlight cv <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i love i think there's just a really clever build of tension and pace in this in the script as well like towards the, each climax of each act so with act one you've obviously got the sword fight into an elevator crash into this climactic loop and finale which just goes and goes and the loop is so well conceived it's not just a again it's not just a vocal loop it's got that danger by having the misplaced white spirit having to be dunked every time i was yeah. thinking about it how if it was just if it was just for dialogue going round and round because they go round five times if it was just that it wouldn't have the same stakes and so your audience might just drop off with you know not as not pay as attention much it wouldn't raise it every time but because they're downing this white spirit and you know it's coming, it raises the level every time. I think it's the hardest part of the show to direct. It really is to, to get that right. Is it, yeah. Because it, it is one of the moments that that is much more kind of um, set, you know, because um, I think having a real, uh, a different clarity to each of those loops and what's happening for them within that, the storytelling within just saying the same lines five times is so important and like you say Lexi if you you can so easily lose the audience in it mm. you can you can so easily let them drift away and start to you know especially you're, you're at that hour mark and people are starting to think about going to the bar and going to the toilet and it's it's unless you unless you get it perfect it, it can be a struggle and mm. and you always know if you get it perfect because you get the big round of applause right at the end as soon as Dennis says the correct line. Yeah. Um, Do you know how much of the script was a text beforehand or how much of it might have been devised during rehearsal? I think that uh, it's kind of a, a mix of the two, really. I wasn't there in the yeah. original rehearsal process. So yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I know, you know that there's absolutely things that, the, that all the members of the original cast brought to the show. Um, the sections where Max mines out entire sections of the show, for instance, I know was because he lost his lines as they were halfway through a run of the show, and uh, and and the director just said, just 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 mine, just keep going, and and that's where it came from. So, wow. absolutely, there's there's things that each of those incredible incredible performers have brought to the show that that. Uh, that have been added into it and obviously like mm. I say the script has evolved and evolved and evolved and to some extent still kind of changes every now and then so mm. it's a really interesting script because we me and Meg were having a little pre-recording chat about if it's an easier script to read once you've seen the show which is all impossible yeah. for any three of us to discuss because we've all seen it but on on paper format if you don't have a very visual brain if it's difficult to think about those different the levels, the characters and all these intricacies, which come a lot easier, I think, when reading it, if you've already seen a production. Mm. Yeah, That's definitely I something I struggled with when reading it. Mm. It does require the, the performances and the kind of the creation of those clowns and the kind of the three dimensionality of, of each of those characters to kind of to make it sing, I guess. And yeah, like you say, so much of it is physical. Like there's probably as many stage directions as there are words mm. in the script. And, um, and so much of it is reliant on that. Yeah, you're probably right. Way more so than I, a lot of other scripts. Mm. I wonder what kind of version you'd get if you just played the stage directions, <laughs> like just as a little game, just to see what play you'd get from that. That'd be quite fun. That'd be fun. 
Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I love the, the, some of the, the really small jokes they took in are really funny. I mean, I was I was laughing my head off at this one. It's just really stupid. Chris, I see. This is your father in the portrait, is it not? It's a painting of a dog. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? It's so stupid Great. and throwaway and hilarious. I love it. I love it so much. I think it, it's interesting as well because... Because they're carry because hmm, here you go. This is what I try and um, inception myself. Because they're your actors you cast are playing actors in an amdram group who are then playing characters in a play. You get clear characterization in the script of the characters in the murder at Havisham Manor, but it doesn't give you dialogue surrounding that particularly to let you know what your actors who are playing those parts are like. I think there's a lot of flexibility in that or potential. I know there's. Obviously, there's a a, a a way of doing it where Chris basically just gets continually more annoyed and controlling about how everything's going terrible. But there's no actual uh, character clues through the dialogue because it's the character from Havisham Manor dialogue, if that makes sense, that you're reading. So I think sure. that's really interesting in the sense that it does actually open up a huge amount of wiggle room as to how each character... You could completely play it on its head and have Chris potentially being a really meek director who's not, who no one's listening to and something else. There, there is the possibility with this. To an extent, we do do that. That does happen with different actors that, that bring different things to the roles. Mm. Like you say, it's not there in the dialogue. It's there in their actions. It's there in what happens within the play. Mm. That's what tells us about, about these characters. You know, obviously, we know that Dennis is somebody that struggles to learn his lines, that's afraid to be on stage because he has random, you know, he, he, he forgets he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but yeah, each time we get a new cast, they they create these clowns afresh, and that's that's what they are. That's you know the work is the, a lot of the initial work that we do in rehearsals is building their version of Robert or their version of Dennis and or their version of Sandra, and um, and they bring different things to it. And certainly, you know, sometimes we have a, a big overbearing Roberts, um, and sometimes it's small man syndrome Roberts. And you're absolutely right. We've you know we've had really really funny meek Chris's in the past. Um, in different versions so yeah it's, it's that's, that's part for me that's part of the joy of the production that we every time we do it anew does feel like there's a freedom for the performance it's such a love letter to like community in amdram theater that's what I, and some of the things that i can remember i love about it what i can't really talk about in terms of script but visual things like the fact that Dennis's trousers are just a bit too short for him. Chris's jacket is just a bit too large. It It is that thing of community theatre where you take what you've got. You don't have yeah. to perfectly fit in costumes. And just that attention to detail yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. There's something <laughs> lovely about having the, like, the youngest member of the cast be Dennis or something, so that you've got him playing the oldest person in the cast. And just, like, yeah, Roberto's job with the, with the costume is incredible. But... Yeah. I love that you say that about Dennis um, being the youngest. I have done that again. Part of my background is in uh, community and Andram theatre, and I I love it because it's where they gave me the most chance to play and have not be constrained with things. And it also links into one of my worst go wrong on a show. I did a one man two governors, and my youngest cast member was playing Alfie, the octogenarian waiter, because he could do all these flips and trips and things. Okay. He could do a lot of things with it. But we missed it on in the dinner scene on one night, and he did a backward roll and kicked the table, sent all the food, all the crappy, just <laughs> flying over the stage. And then he had to keep running around and he ran off to, and I was in the, I was backstage, I'd run backstage, he went, what do I do? I went, 
Uh, we've only got three minutes left till the interval. Just keep going and don't stand on the lamb. Go. And it, <laughs> stand like, on the lamb. <laughs> stand on the lamb. I said, like, I'm not doing a like show. Basil with... Fawlty line. Oh, it was so funny. I'm like, I'm not doing a show stop with three minutes to go. We'll cope. It's fine. Just keep going. Show stops <laughs> is an interesting one in the play that goes wrong as well. Mm. Our stage managers have the most uh, trouble in the world trying to call a show stop if we ever have to do that. Because oh, obviously yeah. they come on stage. So I'm terribly sorry, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have to do a show stop, and uh, and the audience thinks it's part of the show. They they laugh, yeah. they, they they laugh more and more, and they think it's wonderful. And we're thinking, no, 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 really, bring the house lights up. Really, this is the end. <laughs> it's great. I bet that's so awkward for a minute, but then it just it's beautiful as well because it kind of it just echoes how real that is in a way as well. Meta upon meta upon meta. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it must be so much fun to do this show. I very much envy you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think certainly, you know, for the cast as well, I envy them. When I whenever I go in and see them after a couple of weeks, they you know they're always they become such a kind of tight. You know, I think that's the, that's the reason we all do theatre, right? Is that community, yeah. that, that that group of people, that coming together of minds, and you know, every every cast that we that we put together become firm friends for life. And it's just the most extraordinary thing to see and, and to get to to wow. play like that on stage and, and get that immediate response from an audience. saying, God, I hope we can all get back there and do it again soon. <laughs> I really do. You know? Miss it, miss it so much. Well, thank you so much for joining us and talking no about it. No worries. And it was really fun to find find out extra bits about it. I yeah, it sneak, good, good. A sneak backstage kind of preview as to how this amazingly funny show gets gets made. And yeah, and, uh, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll see it back on the West End and all the mischief ones and all the shows full stuff. I sure. hope so. No, we hope. We can so. go we back and so. we can go back and see it again, Lexi. Yes, this would be the show on opening nights of theatres. This would be the one I choose to go back and see first. I think I think that's the one thing that we've got going for us is that when and if the theatres are able to reopen, then people are going to want a show like this, you know. And I think it's it's kind of our duty to somehow weather the storm until until we're able to to do it again. Oh, that was fun. I love talking about comedy. (laughs) <laughs> it's your thing it's your thing it is it's really hard to so hard to pick why something is funny though isn't it it's really yeah because comedy is subjective like we all we all agree on what's sad we all agree on what's good but we differ in what's funny so that's quite mm. interesting yeah and it makes it so much harder i think that's why i personally love directing comedies because there's something so satisfying about getting that collective reaction out of a, a large group of people as to everyone finding something you've made funny. I don't know, it just uh, gets me right there. <laughs> and how much fun do we have with Sean giving all the backstage info? I love some of that. He was fantastic, yeah. It makes me really want to see the show again now that we've got a little bit of inside info. <laughs> so I'll be hitting that. I really want to see the play that goes right. <laughs> Yeah, the play that goes right. And I want my merch book. And I want to do my version of the little stage directions play. You do that. <laughs> I want to have my merch book <laughs> of all the iterations plus stage directions so that I can direct it in the future. <laughs> so, what play are we doing next week, Meg? As we drive towards the end of yeah, season one. We're nearly getting there, aren't we? We're doing a biggie next week, guys. We are doing Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. Who is, of course, my bae. <laughs> yeah. See, Meg's letting me have my real comedy one so that she's now allowed a shaky Shakespeare. <laughs> there was no way we were getting to the end of season one and not doing a Shakespeare. I'm sorry, but it's what you signed up no, for. No, I'm, I'm, re- I'm prepared to learn, I am prepared to love, and I'm prepared for you to teach me. 
Oh, Yoda. <laughs> I don't know how much of that I can do. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Romeo and Juliet for next week, guys. In the meantime, you can find us on social media at Script In Hand Pod across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please do give us a like, give us a follow. If you've enjoyed the episodes, do give us a review. That would mean everything. It'd be fantastic. You can find me at Lexi W99. And you can find me at Meg Robinson94. And you can find our guest today. You can find Sean Turner at Sean D. Turner. And that's Sean S E A N, isn't Thank it? Thank you, yes. At Sean S E A N D. Turner for all of that mischief knowledge. And of course, big up, in the words of Jasmine Lee Jones, Conovata! Conovata for our amazing <laughs> music. So, as we come to the end of this episode, um, we sign off with a stage direction from Play That Goes Wrong, of which there are a plethora to choose from. Mm, this was this was hard to choose, but I think we've gone for a good one. So, as we shuffle forward a few paces and then flop dead onto the chaise long, we'll see you next week. <laughs>